Firstly, I, I would like to beg your pardon for my very bad French accent in English. <laughs> but I think you are used to, to hear uh, uh, strangers uh, speaking English, so no problem, I hope. So, and usually in French, uh, I, I don't like to read my paper, but uh, in English, I'm obliged. I'm ma'akul, you know. Uh, we will speak about l'akl. And I'm, so I'm ma'akul with my text. <laughs> I'm, I'm shackled with my text. But uh, I think we, we, uh, we can have a, a nice presence as well. The fact that human reason is utterly limited uh, in its perception of a spiritual reality and cannot grasp some knowledge of it was already a common topic before Ibn Arabi, of course. One of the major themes in Sufi epistemology, and perhaps the most important one, is that reality cannot be reduced to sensory appearances or human mental constructions. It's, uh, preliminary uh, um, methodologic uh, point uh, for the Sufis. It's due to the assessments that the spiritual crisis of Al-Ghazali, amongst others, but Al-Ghazali is, is a very important figure in this field, uh, is due to this assessment that the crisis of Al-Ghazali began you know, during uh, six months, about. A central scriptural archetype concerning this topic, this subject, is a Quranic episode, of course, of the encounter of the prophet Moses uh, with the enigmatic initiator of the prophet and of the saints, Al-Khidr or Al-Khadir, <coughs> the Quran. I will speak uh, uh, after again about this. At its own expense, you know, Moses, the prophet of formal, of human law, experiences that there is a supra-rational, supra-normative reality, which he does not accept due to a lack of spiritual endurance, a sabr. In this episode, uh, in the Quran, in Surat al-Kaf, the cave, uh, several times, al-Khidr, uh, tells him, you won't have uh, a sabr. This Quranic passage, much celebrated by the spiritual masters of Islam, actually establishes the superiority of knowledge, uh, uh, in Arabic says, knowledge that comes directly from God, al-ilm al-laduni, I will speak again about this, that is knowledge bestowed bestowed by divine grace, al-ilm al-wahbi, over the superiority of this science, of this modality of knowledge, over the mental and rational knowledge, which is acquired through individual human effort, al-ilm al-kasbi. We have in mind the address of Abu Yazid Bistami, the great Abu Yazid Bistami, to the literalist scholars of his time, and this is much quoted by Ibn Arabi. You have taken your knowledge like a dead person, receiving it from another dead person, and from professor to professor, so from mayit to mayit. But we have 
taken our knowledge from the living one who never dies. It's obvious that Sufis do not uh, uh, reject discursive reason and dialectical thought on which the exoteric Islamic sciences, al-Malkalam, al-Falsafa, al-Fiqh, uh, are, are based. But they use them as uh, a springboard explaining that the word akl, akala, means reason or mind, but also and, and formally, uh, firstly, means shakal. No, bind. Human reason is a, is a divine gift. No, no shak. As many verses of the Quran point out. But it can only produce mental conjecture, a then in the Quran, a then which some Quranic verses stigmatize. The faculty of reflection is something created. So, how could it be a sufficient means to know the Creator? Abu Hassan Shazili, amongst others, and uh, school of, of the Shaziliya, Ibn Atallah, also. Uh, uh, focused on, on this point. N uh, knowledge is something created. created. So you, you won't uh, know uh, God through knowledge, but through God, or by God, from God, to God. According to the well-known Sufi expression, spiritual knowledge remains beyond the stage of reason. Mawara tawar al-aql. This, this expression uh, is, is like a leitmotiv in, in Sufi uh, writings, you know, beyond the stage of reason. It's considered as more open and more fulfilling than knowledge obtained only, only by the intellect, rational consideration or investigation, another. Since spiritual knowledge encompasses both a rational and a supra-rational dimension. It's said to be rich through ilham. With, uh, very many uh, Sufi writers uh, come and, and come back on these uh, expressions. And even uh, Emir Abdel Qadr uh, in the 19th century insists on these uh, two, two ways uh, methodology, al-ilham, inspiration, and al-kashf, unveiling. In the eyes of the Sufis, these connective methods are those most likely to lead to the vision of certainty, al-yakin, and the direct perception of spiritual realities, al-ayyan, which evaporates the doubt associated with the speculative sciences. Uh, radically <coughs> the, uh, uh, rational uh, or speculative sciences, even Islamic and religious sciences, uh, are not able to produce uh, a true uh, vision of reality. Now, <coughs> some shared perspectives perspective between Ghazali and Ibn Arabi. In the field of Sufi epistemology, concerned with the relation between reason and supra-reason, the presence of Al-Ghazali, who Ibn Arabi often calls one of our companions, 
and also, he, he calls him elsewhere, the spokesman for the people of this path. So the presence of El Razali is obvious. It, it, it had been said before. Do we need to speak uh, of the direct influence of a direct influence of, of the letter on Sheikh Lakbar? Anyway, El Razali opens his monumental revival of religious sciences, Ahya Lumeddin, with an epistemological introductory book of knowledge, Kitab al Ilm, in which he clearly establishes the preeminence of spiritual unveiling, al Mukashafa, that is, in, in his term also, esoteric knowledge, al Ilm al Batin, over, over, preeminence over exoteric, horizontal, I would say, horizontal knowledge, that is the human of uh, that is a science of human relations in these terms, el muamala. It's it's to be found uh, in Kitab al Ilm at the beginning of Ahyalumuddin. He consequently criticizes <coughs> scholastic theology, al Kalam, which is, I quote him, which is neither able to be open to the knowledge of God nor to provide the fruits of the science of unveiling. On the contrary. It is a veil thrown over this knowledge. And we have in mind that El Razali was formerly was a, a great theologian. But after his, his crisis, spiritual crisis, he realized that it was a mere illusion or it, it could stay at, at, the, at the stage of illusion. If not uh, uh, illuminated by uh, something else more deeper, more inner. In the same way, Ibn Arabi, in the same way, Ibn Arabi begins, as you may know, his Meccan eliminations, the Futahat al Mekia, with a classification, it had been uh, alluded uh, to this before, uh, classification of three levels of knowledge. One, the science of reason, Alm al Akl. It's a science, Alm al Akl. Two, the science of spiritual states. And, third, uh, and three, the science of divine secrets, which, he reminds us, is beyond the stage of reason. And from the very beginning, <coughs> he, minimize, he minimizes the degree of knowledge any theologian, or anyone who relies on mental inquiry and proofs can obtain from the very beginning of the Futuhat. Just like Al-Ghazali, Ibn Arabi strongly disapproves of the use of theological and philosophical reflection. And he even forbids it altogether. So we have many opinions, many faces of uh, Ibn Arabi's opinion uh, uh, on the theologian of, uh, and Al-Falasifa, but in some context, he forbids as a regard and, and uh, as a Sikh uh, in this field. <coughs> Occupi occupying oneself with such concern is indeed an obstruction on the path of God. And although he criticizes Al Ghazali for having turned into the arena of such a reflection through his reputation 
of the philosopher in his book Tahafut al-Falasifa, he quotes him at length to support his argument against the theologians who claim to weigh God with their human scales. These theologians fail to recognize that God, uh, Ibn Arabi said, that God gave them these scales only to weigh, weigh them for God, not to weigh God himself. Concerning philosophers, Sheikh Al-Akbar perhaps goes further than Al-Ravali in his criticism by reminding, us, by reminding us that philosophy means love of wisdom, which is the knowledge of prophecy. You know, the old debate before Ibn Arabi between philosophy and, uh, and revelation, revelation uh, uh, brought to, to, uh, to humanity by the prophets. But philosophers, I quote him, have made mistakes in the knowledge of God that contradict what the messengers brought. They did this by judging through consideration on the basis of their corrupt reflection concerning the origin of prophecy and messengerhood. No, they, the, the gap is between <coughs> is in, in the perception of the philosophers uh, uh, of, of, prophet, of, of the role of the prophets in humanity. Finally, in the long Im imaginal vision, Ibn Arabi states that all the rational sciences which philosophers and theologians practice are nothing more than destructive knowledges. Ulum muhlika destructive knowledge. Amongst the other signs of the influence of the influence of Al-Ghazali in the dialectics between reason and supra-reason, there is a preeminence of unveiling over inspiration, preeminence of Kash or Mukashafa over Ilham. Al-Ghazali has undoubtedly established the former as the spiritual cognitive method. As an, an exacting discipline, he sometimes calls Mujahadat al Kashf, striving uh, towards unveiling. And for Ibn Arabi, too, unveiling is the best method to go beyond limited reason. He gives this term a whole palette of meanings according to the adjective or the annexed term which accompanied it. Ibn Arabi means point on this topic is to be found in the, in the following passage. Sound knowledge is not given by, by reflection, nor by what the rational thinkers establish by means of the reflective powers. Sound knowledge is only that which good throws into the heart of the knower. It's a divine light for which God singles out any of his servants whom he will, whether angel, messenger, prophet, saint, or simple believer, or simple believer. He concludes with, the, with this axial and seminal phrase, and he who has no unveiling has no knowledge at all. Man la kashf lahu, fala ilma lahu. 
man uh, uh, who has no unveiling has no knowledge at all. And if, if we think about the uh, hypermodern, uh, I would say, sciences like, of course, quantum physics, who are in this in this uh, epistemological field. He adds later on in the photo hat that any knowledge which does not come from spiritual taste, a dog, is not the knowledge of the people of God. So it's not a, a real knowledge. A dog, you know the well-known uh, aphorism of the, the Sufi of, uh, sentence, manzaka uh, araf, only uh, who uh, taste knows. There is no knowledge without testing. Inner testing, uh, something uh, uh, subtle, of course. <coughs> Elsewhere, Ibn Arabi observes the same two parts, the, the, the distinction concerning the essence of knowledge as Al-Ghazali did. <coughs> he said, two ways lead to knowledge of God. There is no third way. The first way is a way of unveiling. It's an uncontrovertible knowledge, which is actualized through unveiling on which man finds in himself. The second way is the way of reflection on reasoning, on reasoning, istidlal, through rational demonstration, al-Burhan al-Akli. This way is lower, this way is lower than the first one, since he who bases his consideration upon proof, mental proof, <coughs> can be visited by obfuscations, obfuscation, something with untouched, with a doubt, which detract from his proof, and only with difficulty can he remove them. Al-Ghazali and Ibn Arabi also share a common vision of the rooting of sanctity, of spiritual knowledge, and of super-reason in prophecy. And here, of course, arises the deep debate about the hadith, al-ulama warathat al-anbiya. Al-ulama are the heirs of the prophets. Which kind of knowledge, ilm, is involved here? It, well, it has been really a very strong debate along the centuries between the exoteric scholars and the esoteric uh, knowers or, or the Sufis. When Al-Ghazali tackles the subject of the holy prophetic spirit in his book Mishkat al-Anwar, The Niche of Lights, he asserts that it is a property of prophets and of some saints. In it are revealed the, disposition, the dispositions of the unseen on the statutes of the other world, which the mental and discursive faculties cannot compass. So there is a dimension beyond reason to which the latter has no access. Ibn Arabi, for, for his part, after reminding us that all the prophecies are bestowed sciences, all the prophecies are bestowed sciences, gathers the prophets and the saints under the banner of the, of the sciences which are beyond the stage of reason. And no wonder that for him the people of God, that is to say the, the Sufis, are the real heirs of the prophets.
Now, of course, some specificities of Ibn Arabi in this topic. Sheikh al-Akbar, of course, adds his own genius in the, in, in the, uh, in, into the consideration of the dialectics between reason and supra-reason, as we will show through some examples. Firstly, but not the least, uh, is terminology. Uh, for, for, for people who, who work uh, a lot of, uh, a few in Arabic, uh, in, in Arabic work, you know that his terminology is uh, uh, plunge you uh, in a higher, in a something, in great perplexity sometimes. So I will, I will just uh, uh, make an allusion to uh, his terminology by the star-spangled spangled diffusion. It's mainly the case that in Arabi not only confirms and develops, but also transposes in his very old manner, very personal manner, what has, what has previously been said or written by his predecessors. His works prefigure what contemporary thinkers call the complexity, complexity of life. In France, we have uh, Edgar Morin, for instance, but it's a, it's a, it's a paradigm, you know. Uh, uh, I'd like to say that it's an old, of course, uh, uh, paradigm, but uh, reactualized uh, nowadays uh, by, by the discovery of the uh, infinitude of life, complexity of life. Indeed, his inspired ways of consciousness and thought have substantially enriched the matrix, the matrix of Sufi doctrine, as this prolific terminology testifies. This multidirectional terminology you know, acts as a nebula, uh, and his works, strongly structured by the Quran, should be read like the book, like the Quran, through the modality of a tangim. I mean, stars sprinkled spangled uh, diffusion. Uh, there is a lot to, to of course, to, to, uh, to say about this, but uh, it's only Lambahat, uh, uh, I would say. His approach of a topic to a topic always seemed to be in expansion. You know, when you, when you think that you have finished with an explanation or with uh, 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 when his, his vision of such term, such topic, no, is never finished. Uh, anywhere for me, because I don't know uh, uh, in, in a sufficient way uh, in Arabic uh, works. For instance, spiritual knowledge given by means of supra-reason is far from being qualified only by, in terms of unveiling or inspiration. He contrasts formal and rational perception with many other terms opposite. Al-ilm uh, al-ummi, the unliteral, unliteral knowledge, or I would say rather, the supra-literal knowledge that the Prophet Muhammad received directly from God. Al-ilm al-laduni, the inspired knowledge of uh, al-khidr, uh, still, still receive up today. Uh, from God. Al-ilm al-wahbi, the, best, the bestowed knowledge. Al-wujud, finding, finding, finding myself, so finding God. Al-basira, insight, 
Al-Hikmah, wisdom, which is a prerogative of the Prophet inherited by the saints, etc., etc. And the bearers of such faculties also receive, uh, 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 receive various names, apart from generic terms like people of God, Ahlullah, the knowers, Al-Arifun, and so on. We find other terms, many other terms, like the divine knower, Al-Alim, Al-Ilahi, people of witnessing and finding, Al-Shuhud, Wal-Wujud, Shuhud, Wujud, Bahadat, Shuhud, Bahadat, Wujud, uh, the possessor of the kernels, Ulul al-Bab, those firmly rooted in knowledge, Rasihun fil ilm, these last two extracted, as you know, from the Quran. There's something else. It usually provides more details, more nuances, or more insights than any other Sufi writer. For instance, with regard to the three levels of knowledge we have uh, alluded to before, he distinguishes some subtle subdivisions that are hard to find elsewhere. In the same way, whereas uh, he utterly condemns, condemns the rationalist, <coughs> he gives a great value to reason in some context. So, the balance. The rational faculty, akl, or consideration, another, as I told before, is a divine gift and one of the fundamental powers of the human soul. But Ibn Arabi holds that rationalists have forgotten its original goal, original goal of, of Akl. He also repeatedly affirms the positive role of reason in perceiving God, God's oneness. And that, and that there is no need to prove the existence of God, as do the theologians. Since a sound rational faculty perceive it innately, so no need to, 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 to aim to prove uh, God's existence, because something, uh, uh, this fitra, this uh, pure original faculty of, of perceiving a unity of God, uh, may be uh, obtained by, uh, by reason, because it's something very obvious. The ideal rational faculty is actually what which accepts from God the knowledge of him that he gives to it and does not try to go beyond his own limitation. So, uh, you are uh, you are scholars, uh, theologians, philosophers, don't try to, to go beyond your possibility, your mental possibilities. In other terms, the virtue of reason is to accept or receive, el kabul, what is beyond it. So it's kind of, of taslim. Uh, the philosopher and the theologian has to submit themselves to to, uh, to this uh, uh, reality, uh, which is uh, beyond reason. Uh, it's difficult, of course, uh, and we all know the the, the trial of. Uh, uh, Fahreddin Razi wanted to, to, to be uh, to wanted to uh, to experience Sufi experience, uh, and he uh, <coughs> and he went uh, to a sheikh of of uh, Tariqa al Kubrawiya, and this sheikh put him in in Khalwa, in Portugal retreat, and Fahreddin Fahr, and he 
And you know, and, I, and we know that he was, he was, uh, he was uh, how, how to say, addressing very uh, uh, rich uh, dressing uh, habits. Yeah. At, he couldn't, he couldn't uh, afford that, he, and he couldn't uh, bear this experience because the chef, this chef, uh, uh, makes him uh, completely naked, naked of any kind of knowledge. Uh, would it be a religious knowledge? But he, he couldn't be. So Razi called the, the chef and, and, and told him, no, give me my my, uh, how to say, like the Buddhists say, uh, the, uh, how do they say, the, the, oh, anyway, our, what constitutes, it seems that it constitutes my personality. It's a, it's, it's a matter of, of identity. So Arazi uh, couldn't bear that. Or he asked to have, again, his all his religious senses, uh, you know, dressing, uh, after dressing, and so on, and so on, and he left left. <coughs> so the people of the kernels, Ulul al-Bab, are those who employ reason as it should be employed. In contrast to the people of the husk, al-Kishr, al-Kishr, external or per peripheral perception of, of reality, was close to multi-dimensional reason. The problem is the opening to a multi-dimensional reason. And you have a contemporary f f uh, a philosopher in the West or elsewhere who speak about that. Uh, and they said that, that the drama of, of uh, Western thought is that since mo European modernity, uh, three or four centuries ago, we have lost um, the, the feeling of the, and the knowledge of of the perception of multidimensional uh, levels of, of, uh, of reality. We live only in a unidimensional variety. However, in contrast with his acknowledgement of reason, Ibn Arabi affirms that the knowledge given by supra-reason is the sole and complete way to truth, to ultimate reality. <coughs> it's only the only, it's the only all-encompassing all-inclusive knowledge, he says, which embraces the entirety of knowable things. He links this knowledge to the one el received directly from God, as we said, al-ilm al-laduni, starting with, with grammatical con considerations about the Quranic verse, uh, Surat uh, um, 18, verse uh, 65, in the context, of course, on the, of the encounter between Al-Khidr and, and Moses, he noticed that God applies to himself the plural pronoun as. And thus, Ibn Arabi concludes that God has brought together jam for Al-Khidr a synthetic integral knowledge. And he says, Knowledge on the manifest and the non-manifest. Knowledge of the secret and the open. Knowledge of judgment and wisdom. Knowledge of reason and convention, etc. That is, a non-binary knowledge. A non-binary knowledge which gathers 
all aspects of life. <coughs> now, self-disclosure, tajalli, or tofani, as an, as an epistemological method. As we know, the topic of the self-disclosure, tajalli, or teofani, is central to the doctrine of Ibn Arabi, to such an extent that Ibn Khaldun uh, uh, qualifies this doctrine by the school of a tajalli, uh, not by Wahdat al-Wujud or something else. As William Chittik points out, Ibn Arabi uses the term tajalli either in the context of ontology, al-Wujud, or epistemology. In the latter, the question is, how does God make himself perceived or understood by his creatures? Elsewhere, Ibn Arabi methodically defines the self-disclosure of God as the lights of unseen things that are, that are unveiled to herbs. He clearly, clearly affirms that self-disclosure is the noblest way to gain sciences, and they are the sciences of tasting, olum el Its possessors are obviously the, obviously the prophets and some of the saints. We have seen before. So one should follow the authority of God through its self-disclosure, not the authority of our rational faculty, because we, we may fail, we may fall in shirk, shirk khafi. And he says, when he disclosed himself to that which is self-evident to your reason you will necessarily find that you are supported by something which you cannot know through following the authority of this rational self-evidence. So it's, in French we, we speak of uh, an apori, but I didn't find the, the term in, uh, in English. It's an apori. For mental uh, binary uh, reason, there is no issue. There is no exit. You know? <laughs> you know. Only by... Uh, going uh, beyond the stage of reason. It's the only, it's a Sufi methodology, which is a, a, something uh, strong and, uh, and provocating, you know. You, you won't find uh, an, uh, an uh, horizontal issue, uh, but you have to, to leave your, your, your uh, how to say, your uh, uh, all, all your knowledge or your, uh, or your context uh, of living of your uh, habits uh, uh, of your, uh, all your acquisitions to experience something else now the role of love versus reason in the past in Arabi has been considered a mere Grammarian of esotericism, you know, uh, uh, Massignon, Louis Massignon uh, spoke with him. He, he, di he didn't understand and didn't, he didn't appreciate uh, Ibn Arabi and, and write, you know, he writes uh, uh, somewhere that uh, Ibn Arabi is mere grammarian of esotericism, whose doc doctrine was only focused on metaphysical knowledge, something very pure but uh, uh, etheric. No, now we know that he is also a great lover, and we actually see it in his epistemology. Reason constricts and binds reality by its very nature, and maintains creatures in a state of duality by distinguishing between God and ourselves. 
So true love of God will never be actualized until duality, separation, is broken. And here, Ibn Arabi asks reason to open itself to the subtlety of love. He says, he who stays with his reason in the state of his love will not be able to accept anything from the ruling authority of love. But if a person stays with his reason's acceptance, not its, not its reflection, accepting from God that whereby he describes himself, the ruling power of love, the ruling power of love will dominate over him in accordance with what his reason has accepted. So is a is a trial, a royal trial uh, for uh, for the mental thinkers, uh, for us. Now, the virtues of paradox, joining the opposites. <coughs> Human reason is based on, as I said, binary thought. It is yes or no, white versus black, good versus evil, uh, health versus uh, illness, etc. These are the landmarks uh, by the means of which the dualistic nature of creatures, uh, human but also animals uh, and, uh, and vegetables and so, can operate in this life. Yeah. And this is how the jurist, jurist and uh, theologians of Islam operate, halal, haram, and so on and so. But fundamentally, duality is an illusion. For the real, al-haq is one. So the ultimate goal of Islamic esotericism, of Sufism, is to go here and now beyond our common experience of duality, so as to return to the experience of oneness. Here and now. This is the basis of the esoteric perception of Tawhid, as we know. Tawhid al-Khas, uh, as uh, al-Junaid and others uh, said. <coughs> In this process, human consciousness loses its landmarks to experience the ordeal, the trial of paradox. Because uh, with paradox, two, two, uh, two, um, two realities are true, but they are opposite. So how can human reason manage to escape from this period? No? Ibn Arabi has an, an exemplary teaching in this field. <coughs> Completeness of human consciousness can only be, re be realized by, by living within the coincidential oppositorum, the union of opposites, Jama Dain. Of course, the early Sufis Agnostic of other spiritual traditions have spoken about this coincidentia oppositorum. And Ibn Arabi often quotes the Baghdadian Sufi, Al Kharaz, from the 19th century, saying that he has known God through the fact that he brings opposites together. It's a well known uh, quotation of uh, Al Kharaz. Ibn Arabi draws from such statements his doctrine of a supralogical perception of reality, a non-binary and all-inclusive method which plunges human reason into the great perplexity, hira, or we, we may say also a wonder without end. Let's quote some example of this method. He says, 
uh, in some, uh, so sometimes in, in, in the Futuhat, sometimes uh, in the Fususahika. Every entity qualified by existence is it, not it. The whole cosmos is he, not he. The real manifest uh, through form is he, not he. He is limited who is not limited, the seen who is not seen. Elsewhere, he says, in an Ephesus, he said, Adam, Adam is both the real God and the creator. Elsewhere, he says, you are not he, and yet you are he. Ibn Arabi throws this last phrase after having destroyed the duality that Islamic theology, in its various trends, maintains in the dialectics between transcendence, tanzih, and immanence, etajbih. Or we can say also, for etanzih, incomparability of God, and for tajbih, we may translate by similarity of God, which is, which is a creature. He teaches that we can have access to God only by combining both. And he says somewhere in, in, in El Fusus, you, 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 you determine him by transcendence. You limit him by immanence. If you assert both, you are right. But only if you assert both, you are right. <clears throat> According to Ibn Arabi, only people of unveiling, al-Kashf, can experience this union of opposites. He says, the real describes himself by things with which rational proofs declare him transcendent or incomparable, munazza. The people of unveiling who possess the, the, the divine power that uh, is beyond the stage of reason recognize this, just as the common believers understand. Just as the common believers understand. They know why God accepts this description, even, even though he is transcendent through nothing is like him in the Quran. But, he continues, but this lies outside of what can be perceived by the rational faculty. So the common believer stands in, in the station of declaring similarity, tajbir. The people of unveiling declare both similarity and incomparability, and the rational thinkers declare incomparability alone. The Mu'atazili, for instance. <coughs> hence, he says, hence God, God combines the two sides in his elect ones. It means the people of unveiling. <coughs> Ibn Arabi use, uses in this respect the meaningful image of the possessor of two eyes, Dhul <coughs> inspired by the Quran, Surah 90, verses uh, 8 to uh, 10. If you only see from one eye that of intellectual discrimination, like the philosophers or the theologians, you will perceive God only in transcendence. But if you see from both eyes, you will obtain a balanced vision of transcendence and immanence. In other terms, one eye, he said, one eye sees being and the other perceives nothingness. Through the two eyes working together, man perceives that he himself and the cosmos are he, not he. Through the two eyes, reality appears in, re in, in relief, 
you know, beyond the fragmentation of duality. And it's the same for, for, the, for, um, for the physical vision. If you, if you shut one eye, you won't have uh, a perception uh, in relief of, of reality. And in the, meta, in, the in the metaphysical field, it's the same. If you are only uh, in uh, one way, uh, maybe the right eye should be in, in Tawhid, in transcendence, but it's not the realization of sanctity in, in Islam. The, the realization of sanctity is to have both eyes. One eye, let's say the right eye in transcendence, in, in Tawhid, and the left eye in the multiplicity and the complexity of the world. It's, of course, the Mohammedan model. The different supra-reason method, I will, I will uh, finish soon, the different supra-reason method, method Ibn Arabi uses are quite able to arouse dynamics and plasticity in human thought and in Islamic thought, of course, and to arrive at applications which are surely more of today than yesterday. Uh, we are several to, 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 to think that uh, Ibn Arabi's message is for today and tomorrow uh, than it was uh, for yesterday. <clears throat> Let's take the example of what he calls the third thing, a shay thalith, the third thing or the third mode, mode of existence. In discussing the term Barzakh, he alludes to the third thing as an intermediary reality which is undefinable and which is cap capable of resolving the contradiction and rigidity of our binary thought. For it is, a, as he says, a relation which is always unique, uniting many fields where the same realities are seen from different perspectives. So you see, you see that it's a quite a multidimensional uh, perception of reality. The third thing evokes the, the theme of the included third, the included third developed by the philosopher and logician Stefan Lupesco. He was from the uh, uh, <coughs> east of Europe, but he lived in France. Stéphane Lupesco died in 1988. And this, uh, in this system, uh, Lupesco, and is well known now is in the West, he suggests a vision of the unity of existence. It, it, it doesn't speak of, of God, it's, it's not its aim. But he said that uh, <clears throat> Uh, the included third, and it's very mathematical, you know, but it's very uh, 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 relevant, suggests a vision of the unity of existence and of its non-separability. Its non-separability. And continually receives an intuitive content in the world of Lupasco. We was living, uh, we was living in France, and you know uh, the quite laicism of uh, France. So, uh, but he said uh, <laughs> these things. Uh, besides, you know. human binary thought excludes exclude uh, the other because it's it's an exclusivist uh, uh, 
uh, way of thought. Uh, uh, it's true of our force. It's I, myself, or you. So it, it's, it, by nature, it, it excludes the other. And of course, it may result in dogmatism and horizontal ideology, not to say extremism. Whereas supra-logical experience open, open, opens up sorry, to the universal and to the all-embracing reality and to the Rahma. If you, if you read the, the Islamist books or, or the Salafi books, you won't find the term Rahma. You know? Because Rahma is all-compassing reality. Thank you very much. Yeah.